0: is the Evan York podcast.
1: All right, my friend. Well, thank you so much for, uh, for doing this. Sure. I, I appreciate it. Um, I'm excited to talk, uh, to have you on, on the record today. Um, you have done so many interesting things from real estate to successful franchise to app. Uh, you're just a really unique person in all the, the business ventures that you've had. And so I'm excited to kind of dive into that today. And we were talking a little bit off camera about the things that were the, the trials and the difficulties. Um, and I really want to touch on those things today, too, when it wasn't going well or when you were living in the apartment with all the other guys. I, I just think that's such great. Uh, it's a great message to everybody. Um, and so you spoke also about your message that you want to put out in the world to people. So I want to get there as well. Um, but I'd love to start back. Talk about uh, the, the early days. What were you doing? Um, you know, what led you to here? What, what was sort of the first business venture that you were up to prior to the the franchise business?
0: Well, uh, the first venture wasn't necessarily business. I uh, always had a dream to be a paramedic firefighter. I was used to chase the fire trucks around when I was a kid and always curious what was going on. And I've always had a passion for helping people. And so uh, my senior year in high school... I finished uh, some of my classes early and was able to go to Medical College of Ohio, became a paramedic, and uh, started working literally like five days after I graduated high school. Wow. Fast. And, uh, yeah. So it was, it was great, and it was an awesome career. I did it for 10 years. I you know, went through the cycles of uh, getting promoted from a private ambulance company in Toledo to working for TFD and then Perrysburg uh, City Fire Department. So Wow. That was really cool. Um, the only problem with that really is, aside from the stress, is uh, you don't make much money. <laughs> You work about seventy two <laughs> right. hours a week, and you uh, might make about sixty five thousand dollars a year wow,
1: which is uh, I, that that makes me sad <laughs> just because <laughs> <Me too. laughs> those are the people that are that are risking lives every day so yeah,
0: so but it does give you an opportunity you work sure. twenty four on forty eight off and so you have an opportunity to kind of get out there and figure out a way to supplement your income and and so at that point in my life that 's all I was trying to do was just kind of. You know, get to that first six-figure mark, and, and that, to me, at that time, seemed super comfortable. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, kind of tried a number of different things, got into sales a little bit, like with the home improvement company, and learned a little bit about, you know, how that works, and, and started to kind of uh, see what investments looked like that people were making into their homes, and was fortunate to um, have a, my uncle, uh, who owns a commercial real estate company in Ohio. Kind of just saw that I was eager and hungry to learn and, and try new things. So he kind of brought me under his wing and got me involved uh, in commercial real estate, flipping apartment communities. Okay. So that's kind of how I got my real start, was just really learning you know, uh, you know, how investments work and, and what the math looks like and how the formulas you know, come together to put those deals and make those deals happen. Yeah. And uh, so that was kind of my first real start, and, and uh, you know, that probably took me up till about 25
1: um, I guess just to keep going. Well, but how did you like that? I mean, talk about that because I mean, I, you know I know that you were a cop then for a while. So that was later. That was later. That was later. Yeah. Oh, okay.
0: So, but yeah, I liked it. Um, It was fun. I like getting deals done. I like the excitement of, I like the anxiety of trying to put a deal together when you're just not sure if it's going to pass or fail. And there's a lot of people that have to give it a thumbs up and you're just not sure. And sometimes it can take days. And when you finally uh, get to the closing table, it's always exciting. Hmm. But, uh, you know, leading up to that and trying to find the deals, you know, and, and, you know, just talking to hundreds of people a day, trying to just figure out where your next one's going to come from. Just kind of got a little laborious and maybe stagnant for me, so I wanted to diversify a little bit out, and that's, that's what brought me to the uh, the pizza franchise okay so I'd made a little bit of money, uh, worked with my uncle, saved everything I made with uh, you know working for the fire department, yeah um, of course, now we're forward you know probably six, eight years right, and uh, so I had some savings, and I wanted to diversify a little bit. There was a building in my hometown that had a restaurant in it. And I thought I could kind of take over this restaurant. It was mismanaged. You know, our whole niche was mismanaged distressed properties. Right. And so well, had you run restaurants before prior to this? I had not. Okay. So, but I was excited to, because again, my whole thing is, I, you know, I'm not necessarily a classroom student, but I like to learn new things. And once I've kind of learned something, I got to have a new project. Right. And so uh, this was kind of the best mix because I was going to buy a building that had an opportunity to, to rehab and, and put some apartments in the upper units. Mm. And then the restaurant was in the lower unit, and I was going to try to pick that up and turn it around. Okay. And the long story short is I could never get that deal together uh, with the owner of that, with, of that building and that restaurant. Mm. But through that networking, I met the executives of Marcos Pizza, who at that time were kind of just starting this national expansion of the Marcos brand. Yeah. And uh, so they kind of looked at what I was trying to do. They, they understood, you know, my background in, in kind of uh, turning around some of these distressed operations sure. and offered me uh, some Marcos uh, locations in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Um, went out, visited those stores, and it was way over my head. I'm like, I don't know how to turn around restaurants. I mean, I was, I mean this one would have been interesting because the math made sense because I had the apartment income. And it was just a little bit different. Like, here's all of a sudden five stores in a city I don't know. And yeah. so... Uh, I didn't really want to do that. They came back and offered me a developer role within uh, the organization. So there's only 40 guys that were kind of uh, given a piece of the company. And I took East Tennessee, moved out there. Okay. And the objective was to sell franchises. Okay. And so um, my title at that time was area developer. And so the way that it works, just for simplicity, is every store that you open, you share in the royalty. So I owned all the royalty rights to the the marketplace. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just wanted to sell franchises. Hmm. What I quickly realized was I had a lot of interest, but I didn't have a product, right? So as soon as somebody said, yeah, we like Marcos, uh, how, do we, how do we try it? How do we see a location? Yeah. My answer was, well, just fly up to Ohio and check it out. And check it out. So obviously, I wasn't wow. converting a lot of deals. Yeah. So that, at that point in my life, I was like, all right, we got to get serious about this. And um, I had to kind of create my first location so that I had the showroom, so I had the product. And, uh, you know, started to go down the path. of about $400,000 to open a location. Okay. Um, tried to go down the path of an SBA loan. Um, I'm super ADHD, so uh, putting all the documents together and waiting for the responses kind of didn't suit me. I decided just to take the risk. I was still young enough, uh, so I dumped everything I had into opening the first location, basically opened it with cash. Wow. Um, and I solved my problem, right? I now had a showroom, and I, had a, I could make a pizza for
1: people to try. What did that feel like when you when you wrote that check and you dumped everything that you had into that one location? What was going through your head?
0: Uh, it was scary, but I was confident. You know, I, I thought at that time, like you know, like most young people, I kind of knew it all, and and I'm like, okay, well, Marcos is great; everybody's going to love it. You know, it'll take off, and we'll make money. We'll make some money here, and we'll get the franchisees to come, and yeah. you know, I'll make it back. So I wasn't too worried about it. Uh, but that quickly changed. Hmm. You know, we. Uh, Running a pizza operation, you know, it, it's, it's not easy. You have a lot of things that I'd never experienced before. All of a sudden, I had 45 employees. I had never paid payroll before. I didn't know what payroll taxes were like. I'd never had to order a food truck. I've never had to do inventory. Mm. So, you know, while it's A lot it's easy of to, unknown. It's a lot of fun getting set up. All of a sudden, you have some real responsibilities. And right. but I found myself about six months later, $100,000 in debt. About to basically go bankrupt wow um, you know I had uh, I had I had sold my, or moved out of my apartment moved in with uh, uh, some Craigslist roommates into a really crappy house Wow, just trying to make it all work you know and of course at that point you know you go through all the 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 struggles of now what you know what do I do now and of course it's kind of scary and depressing sure um, but uh, you know at that point I had the opportunity I had the option I guess to either you know, hang it up and start over, move back to Ohio or figure it out. And yep. so you mentioned kind of the message. I think that the important thing if you're you know, going to go down a path of entrepreneurship is to uh, you know always kind of uh, maximize your relationships with people. You know, as you go through life, you meet a lot of different people from a lot of different walks of life who have done a lot of different things. And most people I found are more than happy to, you know, uh, step up and help, you know, anytime they get an opportunity, I I think most people inherently are good like that. Yeah. And so I got real lucky. I had a guy in my network who ran a retail uh, operation for marathon oil, actually across the entire United States, Hmm. came down, spent a week with me every month for the next six months, uh, and taught me all there was to know about running, you know, a small business. Wow. What I did well was I picked the right location. So thank God for my uncle teaching me how to find uh, good real estate. We had yeah. the right spot. Once I uh, learned how to run the operation, we went from red to black overnight, and it, you know,
1: the, wow. game, the game changed. So <clears throat> before you met this guy that started helping you, do you remember a time? Like when was the moment when you said, okay, I could either pack this in and cut my losses and you know just go get a job? Or continue? Do you remember that time when you decided that?
0: Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, I mean, I had, I had just kind of gone through this phase of selling off everything I had to be able to pay the bills. And, you know, I think my car had like a Toyota Avalon. I sold that car for like $7,000 to to make a payroll. Wow. And that was it.
1: You know, like, you know. Then, so you were literally selling your belongings to pay your employees. Yeah, yeah. Your personal you know, and I
0: felt like it was coming together. I mean, I, I, was, I was there 100 hours a week. I mean, I was open to clothes. I was, you know, wearing all the hats. You know, and it was, it was like I had come too far to turn back. Mm-hmm. You know, I had, to get, I had to get to the other side. And so, yeah, I was... But at that point, when I sold the car and, and made the last payroll, I had basically two weeks left because there was no way. There was nothing else to sell to, to make the next payroll. You had no more belongings. And uh, so that was pretty scary. And again, you know, just uh, I got real fortunate to... I uh, have some people in my life that saw how hard I was working and, and were willing to kind of step
1: in and, and help keep us afloat until we got it figured out. Wow. So the guy that, that, that came down and started helping you out, what, what was like the biggest thing that he told you that really sort of clicked in your head? What, I mean, were there? I, I'm assuming there were multiple things that you guys put into place. But was there a major thing that you guys were just doing wrong that he sort of stepped in and fixed for you? I think the biggest thing for me was
0: learning the difference between, um, being like a manager and being a good leader. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was going in and I was bossing people around and I had people in their spots. Right. And, you know, and I took them through the standard training, but I wasn't motivational. I wasn't, uh, I never, I never really, um, I didn't really understand at that time that these people have to understand that you care about them, too. It's not just about your business. It's about why should they work there? Yeah. And, you know, that's a big part of it, right? Because, you know, in in a restaurant, labor costs is one of your number one, you know, uh, expenses. Sure. And if you have, you know, poor quality people or a lot of turnover, you're never going to get that under control. Yeah. And, you know, I had people walking out the door every shift, you know, and so really constant revolving door because I didn't know what I was doing. I wasn't nice. All those different things.
1: Right. And they were just upset with you and the company that they would just leave.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think especially if you're a young person in a minimum wage job. Sure. You can go work anywhere. Why am I going to go work for this, you know, guy who's screaming all the time? (laughs) So, um, makes sense. You know, that's, that's a big thing that Pete taught me is, you know, you know, that The the struggles I'm going through aren't their fault, and I can't let that show in the day-to-day operations. And, uh, so we, we spent a lot of time on, you know, really how to coach people and reward people and, uh, recognize people. Recognition I think is huge. Yeah. And once I kind of learned that, you know, the turnover really started to, to settle down. People really started to enjoy working there. Mm. They took training uh, more seriously. They took our, our objectives in terms of how quickly we could get pizzas out the door uh, much more seriously. They wanted to be there. Right. And so, you know, those, those expenses started to shrink and Mm. we started to build really good teams. And, you know, from that point on, I ended up with a really solid, uh, you know, team of, of, of leaders that, you know, just wanted to be a part of this and wanted to keep growing. And they were with me. They ended up being with me through the whole entire, you know, uh,
1: stint in, uh, in Tennessee. We opened wow. seven locations together, and wow, it was awesome. So, you've got your team. It's all set up. Now you're, you're a great leader. You've learned those skills. How did you increase your revenue? What were the things that you were doing to actually bring cash in the door? Yeah. So again, like
0: what, what I was saying, kind of saying earlier, we, I picked the right location. So we had the revenue coming in, the store oh, opened up okay. essentially doing, you know, way in excess of the, the, the company averages. Okay. And, and again, I attribute that to nothing more than just right location, got lucky, whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, so we had the revenue coming in, um, learning the L, managing your expenses. Um, managing your cash flow, understanding how all that kind of stuff works. Yeah. That's how we actually started generating, you know, like a real income that we could use to pay our bills. Um, So a lot of it was just managing the money that you had. Managing the money that we had. And then it became time to go after like new business. How do we go from, you know, 800,000 a year in revenue to, you know, my goal was 1.6 million. You know, I wanted to double it. Right. And, uh, and then that just, to me, I felt like, if, if I want these people to come and patronize my business, then I need to be giving back to the community. So we got out there, just got heavily involved with all the schools. Every school had, you know, like a Marco's night, where if you mm. called in and said your teacher's name, you know, ten, you know they would get a tally. Okay. And uh, whatever teacher had the most amount of tallies, they would get a pizza party, you know, at the end of the month for their class. Wow. And... Um, you know, 10% of our revenue from all the sales that came in through that program, you know, was donated back to the school. So like, for instance, one of our biggest schools was Cedar Bluff, um, school district. And, uh, we bought whiteboards for all their, uh, classrooms from first to third grade. Wow. You know? And so like when, when that message started to come out, you know, people just wanted to be part of Marcos. And then yeah. my, you know, my mindset became, I, I want to change the verb, right? I don't want people to say, let's order pizza, or let's have, let's have a, a pizza night or, or what sort of pizza this weekend. I wanted to say Marco's hmm. let's order Marco's let's have, yeah. let's have Marco's this weekend. And uh, so, you know, the only way to do that is to build significant top of mind awareness. And so we, you know, just kept on that path of sort of becoming a part of everything. And next thing I knew we were, you know, part of, you know, UT medical center. We were part of their life flight. We were part of their trauma center. We were part of yeah. camp q o which is a camp for special needs kids. You know, we were getting involved in everything we could get involved in. And, um, people just wanted to, you know, to work with us at
1: that point. That's so neat. I love the the outreach thing because yeah. I think that that's something that not enough companies look at. And and we've we've started those talks here even even pre-release of our app of okay, what are we going to do? What do, you know, how how do we how do we build this area that we're in? How do we how do we reach out to our community here and and I think that that's you know, it's not a selfish thing. You're, you're really helping the community, but there's such a a boomerang Mm -hmm. effect to that. I mean, it's just, there's so much awareness that comes back to your business out of doing things like that. Right. That makes it a really special thing to do experience. Yeah. I
0: mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, the, the more, if your mindset is focused on what you can do for others and, and how you can help and be of assistance and, and, uh, use your time to, to enrich someone else's situation. Um, you know, only good is going to come out of that, in in whatever form, right? It may yeah. be many different forms,
1: but um, you can't go wrong with that mindset. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the the we've talked about it many times. Is is I mean, the creating value for people is what really builds your business, right? Which interestingly, a lot of people overlook. Like some people start a company thinking, okay, this is going to pay my bills, or I have this cool widget or gadget. But if you start it with the I mean, not all the time obvious- or not all the time obviously, but if you start it with the intention of helping the greatest number of people actually helping them right then you 're usually in pretty good shape yeah so how long did you do that for so you're you 're up and running the business is humming how long until you you know started nearing the end of that exit
0: yeah we uh I moved to Tennessee um in two thousand and nine uh, end of the year two thousand and nine, and we had our you know so It took me till probably January to realize that I wasn't going to convert a franchise lead uh, to an actual franchisee until I had a showroom. Right. So we kind of switched gears, and um, I had my first store open by April of 2010. Okay. And then uh, we ran that – you know, just looking back on how fast time goes, I guess, it didn't seem like it at that time, but I mean, we, I, I sold in uh, March of 2015 and in that window, we opened seven locations, created 130 jobs, brought in two franchisees. Wow. Um, you know, and, and then uh, I was participating a lot with uh, grand opening uh, marketing. I kind of rewrote that package, you know, mm-hmm. on, on how to, how to launch new stores and new mm-hmm. locations. I was traveling around the country, probably opened about 150 stores with franchisees around the United States. Wow. And uh, so it just was a lot of fun. And uh, the only reason I got out of it was, you know, we were approached by a franchisee that we brought on. I opened up two stores with him. Uh, Both of them, you know, wildly exceeded, you know, all of our company records. Of course, he was very excited. Uh, He showed that to some financial people on his end. I didn't even really understand how private equity works and things like that at that point in my life. Right. But he did, obviously, and he found some backers and uh, they came in. And originally, uh, we're trying to put together kind of a partnership deal. I think we like at Marcos. We always had this thing that like the most important uh, part about Marcos is an acronym called PSI. stands for product service image. Okay, and those are the three things that you need to really manage in order to have a successful location. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things that impact that if you scale too quickly, you can't hire people and train them fast enough to output a quality product. Mm. Right. You know, your service will start to, to fail. Right. You know? And these guys wanted to come in and they had a lot of money and they wanted to open up like 11 stores in a year. And it was just crazy. And I'm like, guys, you, you can't do that. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not right. going to bring you on as a partner you yeah. know, with that, with that plan. And uh, so we kind of turned down the partnership deal, and um, they came back and said, well, what do you want for it? And so I kind of did a little bit of quick math and gave them a crazy number, and they turned me down. And then about another six months went by, and they said, okay, let's do it. And, uh, so I wasn't expecting it. I'd had no plan to uh, really exit Marcos. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to build it all out. I wanted to get to 22. My, my, uh, contract was 22 locations. Wow. But, uh, these guys kind of hit me with something that I couldn't turn down.
1: And, um, that was kind of how it came together. That's so neat. And, and what was that exit like? I mean, what did that feel like? You, you said, yes, you signed on the dotted line and then you were, you know, it was interesting you had a ton of cash. And what did that feel like?
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm trying to think how to describe it. I mean, I'm a pretty low-key guy to, to begin with, so yeah. excitement's not one of my, uh, you know, big things. Right. But uh, obviously, I was pretty excited. Um, but I was also, it was, it, was, it was, I was happy and sad at the same time, right, because I love my team, you know, and having yeah. to tell my team, like, hey, this just kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, th- I, for me, it was going on for a year and a half, Right. They had no idea. All of a sudden, there's a contract in front of me for a lot of money that I can't pass up. Yeah. And so now I'm going to my team and saying, hey, suddenly, here's what's going to happen. And yeah. these are the guys that are going to be running it. And, uh, you know, um, so that, that, that part was really hard for me. You know, I didn't want to walk away from that. Um, you know, especially like what I was saying earlier, building teams and really understanding people and, and uh, you know, trying to be a strong leader and mentor mm-hmm. was probably the best part about that thing. So that part was, was kind of tough. Yeah. Uh, obviously, seeing the money hit the bank account was was incredible. Yeah. Um, you know, that was the first time that I really had real money. Um, I had never really paid myself a lot as I was running Marcos. Uh, obviously, it, you know, it took me a little bit to come out of my financial ruin. Sure. But I didn't want to, you know, take too much out of the company um, until until we were successful and had yeah. the right, you know, uh, bottom line. So it was just uh, kind. It was just kind of like a switch flipped. I went from you know a broke joker to a you know, to like a, a successful person, you know, overnight. And yeah. uh, so that was just weird. And, and uh, to be honest, I don't know that I've figured out, you know, what that really means. You know, I went out to California right. and tried to try to enjoy it. I rented a house for 30,000 bucks a month on the beach in Laguna <laughs> and uh, quickly learned. Did like, you
1: like buy cars and stuff like that? I bought
0: that? a car, um, you know, I bought a Porsche. Uh, it was a used one. Uh-huh. But it was the model, and it was everything I wanted—the color and everything I wanted—and it just yeah. seemed like everything I, I got. Um, I did. I, I like, it was exciting to get it, but I didn't really care about it. You know, it's like—you yeah. know—soon as, as you buy a convertible, you realize well, it's too hot to drive it. And my—I'm bald, so my head's getting sunburned. <laughs> so I mean, it's like I don't really want this car anymore. And right. then you know, you can only sit on your deck looking at the ocean for so, so minutes, long. So for
1: so long, and and uh, just kind of got bored. And um, yeah, so. I I think this is such a good point because. I had this conversation so many times throughout the week, and it's we are our most happy during the grind, mm-hmm. in the pursuit. And once we actually get it, it's kind of like, all right, well, now what do I do? Right now what, like, now what makes me happy? What am I supposed to do now? And everybody thinks that the dream is renting the $30,000 a month house in Laguna Beach and driving around the new 911 and all of that. But it's, it is that, but you still have to be doing hard things every day. To yeah. enjoy it. Yeah, you got to keep your mind sharp. I mean, I feel like I've kind of, you know, just,
0: just through the events of my life, conditioned myself to work out of failure. Mm-hmm. So, sitting in a point where there's no stress, you know, just sitting in a chair and you have nothing to worry about sounds incredible. Yeah. But I kind of thrive on anxiety. Mm-hmm. And
1: um, so, oh, without, a, without a
0: challenge, you know, it's just not fun.
1: Yeah. I'm very much the same way. I love being right on the edge of complete chaos. Yeah. Right when everything is just nuts and almost too much to handle. That's where I like to live my life. Yeah. Which I think to a lot of people is, is crazy. Um, but, but I love it. Um, okay, so you sell the business. You're in Laguna Beach. You're living it up. You're a rich guy now. What do you do after that? When, when do you decide, okay, I got to go do something else now? <laughs> uh, it took, like I said, it didn't take long before I got bored. Uh, I was probably
0: three months into it and, um, you know, wanted to kind of get back to work. Uh, and I was
1: 32. I mean, I had no business sitting around. So, yeah. um, but Which, by again, the way, all these people out there saying retire by 30, 35, <laughs> that's sort of a terrible life, it seems. I don't know if it's a terrible life. It's like what you just said.
0: I mean, everybody's different. I have a, right. I have a friend who, you know, his whole goal in life was to get to $80,000 a year so he could be home by four sitting in his recliner with a cocktail and no stress and just live this modest, easy life. And he's happier than anybody I've ever, I've ever met. Wow. You know, like yep. nothing to me sounds worse than that. But, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, we're all different and, and it's okay. Whatever your thing is, is, is okay.
1: Right. Okay. <laughs> all right. So you get bored. Get bored. Yeah.
0: So I was just trying to figure out how to get back to work. I wasn't at that point, I wasn't really ready to, you know, get into a full on massive scale project and, and, and go all the way back to the anxiety of, you know, what do I do? Um, so uh, real estate was kind of like the natural fit. You know, I just kind of went back to my roots. I like real estate. I know real estate. I was in California. So I'm like, I'm just going to get my real estate license and, and give that a go out here. And, uh, um, kind of started to realize once i got my license like this is probably one of the worst jobs ever real estate you know mm-hmm. like it seems like it's great and you you know it's just like anything else you see stuff on tv or instagram or whatever it is and you get these people making yeah. big checks and you know hanging out you know seeing all these awesome properties yeah and then you get your real estate license and the joke in california is that more people have a real estate license than a driver's license mm. So, it just becomes this crazy uh, rat race. Um, very saturated. Very, very saturated. I mean, I think there's like 300,000 real estate agents across California. Wow. You know, just Orange County where I was, there was like 130,000. Wow. Um, you know, so, and, and so like, like 70, 80% of those people are all in the same boat I'm in, right? They just got their license. They think right. they're going to make it big. And they're all doing all these antiquated, you know, techniques to try to drum up business. Sure. and. What frustrated me the most is like you go to these brokerages and they all tell you the same thing. Like you want to start farming neighborhoods, which means literally knocking on doors and passing out mailers. And you want to start cold calling, you know, expired listings and then tap your sphere of influence, which I hate. Like I think that's the craziest thing in the world. Take somebody who has no idea what they're doing. Get your family involved with you and, and, and get them a terrible real estate deal.
1: Yeah. Why would you do that, especially to the ones that you're closest to? Yeah, I
0: mean, it's just awful. And, you know, like the thing about real estate is most people don't know any better, right? So you don't know if you're getting a good deal or a bad deal. You don't sure. know all the different ins and outs of the contract and where you can, you know, where you can win, where you can lose big. Yeah. Um, and so I just, I just didn't like any of that. And so I quickly realized I didn't want to be a realtor, but still was kind of unsure uh, as to what I wanted to do. Yeah. But started thinking about, well, how can I fix this, right? Because there's a big, there's a big segment of people who are really trying to make it. Yeah, Probably never will because it's just too competitive. It's too saturated. And the, the, the technology is too antiquated, Yeah, you know, to make it work. Sure. And um, so that's kind of, you know, what took me to
1: where we are now with trying to create this app. Okay. So um, that's so good. It's such an interesting journey. I love it when people do multiple things over their life. Not just one thing, but they do many things. Uh, and there's failures and successes. I, just, I think that teaches people so much. So talk about the app. So tell us about that um, and kind of where you are now and, and the process of starting that and what the idea was and as much as you can talk about.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't mind sharing the story so far. I mean, we everything kind of just snowballed, right? I, I had no idea that I would be creating an app, you know, three years ago, I guess yep. is when we started kind of thinking about it. Sure. Actually, May of nineteen is when I created the LLC. So, that so prior to that, I was kind of just writing a business plan. As I was kind of learning, I mean, I kept working as an agent, and I I was lucky enough to get a few deals done in California. Yeah. And so, not only was I able to see kind of like firsthand what it's like to be a brand new agent, but then you know, learn what it's like to actually do deals. And you know, it's scary to do, uh, especially a multi-million dollar deal. You know, when you've never really you know, learn to contract. Oh yeah. But that's what happens every day is these new agents just, you know, kind of, a deal falls in their lap. They got a contract in front of them, 16 pages of stuff they've never read. Sure. And so there's just like all those kinds of things, you know, that I was kind of able to learn. I just started writing into a business plan in terms of like, well, how do I solve this? How do I solve, you know, for, for agents? Right. And then, you know, you start to learn from your clients well, you know, gosh, it took three days to be able to schedule a showing of this property. And in California, properties don't stay on market that long. Average yeah. stays on market is four and a half days. So if you lost three of them, chances are you're not going to get that house. Right. And on multiple occasions, you know, we would we would see a property hit the market. And by the time we would get there to go do a showing, it was already under contract. Mm-hmm. And so I want to try to solve that for buyers. And then, of course, you know, you have other segments of the country like, you know, Dallas right now or um, a lot of places where, Days on market, you know, can exceed 30. And it's like, well, how do I just get people in here and seeing these houses? Yeah. And um, I just kept writing ideas, you know, and that kind of turned into a business plan. And then I showed that to a few people and they're like, well, you should should start a company and do it. So I created an LLC and then I'm like, well, how do I take the business plan and turn into a, you know, something we can visualize? Right. You know, and just research a little bit and like, okay, well, I guess I have to find a UX designer, whatever the heck that is, Yeah, you know, and, and learn what these guys do. And I thought it was this big, complicated process. It was gonna be super expensive. And I get this guy on the phone, I'm telling him what I want to do. And he's like, Oh, yeah, I can have that done in a couple of days. I'm like,
1: all right. You're great. going, okay, yeah, sure, we'll see. <laughs> yeah,
0: and he did. I mean, he put this thing together, and of course, there's a little bit of back and forth just getting the look and feel right. But, you know, there's, there's programs out there now that make it so simple. So simple. That literally within a few days, he had what was in my mind on a screen actually kind of functioning, not like a real app. Sure. But, but it, just it was in this prototype. In this,
1: yeah, in this prototype environment. Yeah. That, I, I remember with us in the early days, too, that was so exciting to actually see what I had in my head. I could click on buttons yeah. and watch it actually work. Again, not, not coded, but actually function was such a, a prideful thing. To be able to see that, it was just, it was really neat. It's a neat experience. And, and I, I mean, the way I describe it is like,
0: it's just a snowball effect, right? If you just kind of keep following your ideas, yeah. you know, if that's what you're interested in, you're passionate about, sure. then it will keep formulating and it'll yeah. keep growing and it'll cre- it'll keep becoming something. Yeah. And so, you know, we got the prototype built and, and it was pretty cool. And, um, uh, I started showing the prototype to people and they're like, well, how do I, how do I get involved with that? I want to, I want to be a part of your company. Yeah. You know, so I'm like, gosh, I never thought about that either, you know, but it wouldn't hurt to have some people kick in some cash if they want to. And yeah, so, uh, you know, we showed to a few people, got a few uh, backers behind us and, and, th- and then we took it from prototype to actually hiring developers which, again, I had never done before. Yeah. Of course, it's terrifying. it's much harder
1: than people think.
0: If you've ever taken like a Spanish class or French or whatever in school and you think that's tough, like try learning how to talk to a developer. Yeah. Um, it's really. It's difficult. a whole language. It's really difficult. And, and um, it's not as easy. I thought, I mean, it was so easy to get the prototype done. I'm like, okay, I'll just hire these developers. Next thing I know, I'll have an app. Yep. And, uh, you know, my timeline was a few months. And, you know, now we're uh, at the end of the year, you know, we're essentially 12 months into this and
1: and we're still working on it, you know, but uh, I think that's all part of it. Yeah. It's, it's uh, amazing to me how difficult it's been. I mean, we have two great developers that hired up, but we're still looking for, we're actively looking for another one right now. We need them quick. And it's so difficult to find somebody that uh, wants to make a big change. They all demand a unbelievable amount of money and a lot of them are happy where they are Mm -hmm. but you're right I mean being able to intelligently communicate with those people and actually explain to them what you want and then also to vet them that's the hardest part that's been the, the biggest learning curve for me is just how do I know that this person actually knows what they're talking about yeah oh I have to go and learn a lot of this lingo to actually understand if they're just BSing me or if they're, they're being truthful or if they even know what they're talking about. Right. And that was one of my mistakes too. I mean, I, I kind of got a
0: little out ahead of my skis and, um, you know, I, I didn't necessarily learn the language and these guys talked a big game, thought it was going to be great, brought them on, paid them their fees, Yeah, you know, and, and, uh, it wasn't the greatest uh, scenario, you know, and so we had to kind of pivot from that and find better ways to do it, but, you know, you learn from everything that you do, and and so now I know how to vet, you know, a developer, and and you can sit there and think, God, I wish I would have known that before I burned some cash on them, but, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just all part of it, you know, if it were easy, everybody would be a billionaire, and, uh, you know, so, but, uh, yeah. It's
1: true. So, and and talk about the, uh, I'm curious about, one of the things that that we speak about a lot inside the company, obviously, is how do we convert these users? How do we actually, you know, if we're in front of them, however we get in front of them, how do we actually make them download this app, and then how do we get them addicted to it, to use it all the time? Yeah, I mean,
0: if I knew the answer to that, um, you know, this podcast would be worth a lot of money. Yeah, Um, You know, I think that, I think there's just a little bit of, well, number one, I think you have to make sure you have, product market fit. You know, that's something that I'm learning right now is I believe that the number one frustration, you know, really occurred between buyers and agents where new buyers just want to get out and see properties and agents are all desperate for listings. Yeah. And I believe that that was the biggest pain point. And as we kind of built that out and put it to the marketplace, you know, we kind of learned that like, You know, yeah, that might be true in Orange County, Newport Beach, you know, where, where properties are going in a minute. Right. Um, But everywhere else people are okay to wait and they don't necessarily want the anxiety of trying to connect uh, instantly with somebody. And sure. And then we were finding, well, once, once they pair with an agent, if they like that agent, they're not coming back to our app. And, um, and so maybe that wasn't the most, you know, uh, crucial pain point. So, you know, we're kind of looking at, you know, what, what is our true product market fit? Yeah. And the nice thing about real estate, I think the, the blessing in disguise is that there's so much wrong with the industry is that, mm. you know, we'll find it. Right. But, um, you know, again, what I would lacked at the beginning was, you know, a very diligent, thoughtful process on identifying true market fit. And hmm. so now we're back at the drawing board and we're doing real studies and, and capturing analytics on what do people really want? Sure. You know, we're finding that like contracts are actually scarier than losing a property that you love, hmm. right? Understanding what's happening in the contract and where am I in my timeline from we're under contract to, is this thing going to close? Cause as soon as you get under yeah. contract, that's when the anxiety kicks in for the clients, right? Who's going who's gonna to fall out of this deal and why is it not going to happen? That's all anybody yeah. thinks literally until the minute that it closes. Right. And there's no systems that really show you where you're at and how it's going to play happening. out. And, um, so, you know, that's point. something that we're looking at, you know, okay. in, in terms of uh, uh, how
1: we can kind of assist everybody in the process. Right. So, okay. And so what's the, uh, what's the status right now? What are you guys doing now? So, you know, I guess uh, this is the part, like if I were to, re- you know, uh,
0: compare it to Marcos, this is the part where I'm living with with the uh, Craigslist roommates. Okay. Um, you know, I don't know what the answer is. I've spent yeah. a bunch of money. Um, you know, we did a soft launch. Didn't go well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're kind of back to drawing board. Uh, I think our product is great. You know, I, we learned a lot. So there's a yeah. lot of, you know, really great things that have happened. Um, but I'm at that point where I'm trying to tap my resources and I'm trying to find people that have done this before and yeah. I'm trying to, uh, grow my network of, you know, real estate enthusiasts and, and people right. that have better experience than, and more experience than I, yeah. and, um, you know, and we're going to figure out how to pull out of it. But we're, we're definitely in a valley, <laughs> yeah. you know, in terms of, you know, how this thing sure. goes and that's how it goes, I think for everybody, but, um, that's where we're, that's where we're at right now. We've rolled back our launch. Uh, we're going to create some new stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. We're going to look at some you know new studies in terms of product market fit and um, you know how we want to take that back to market. Not right. sure when it's going to happen, but I think it's all good
1: stuff. Yeah. Well, I, I I think what's neat, honestly, is that you've this this is not an unknown territory for you. What what you're doing right now is unknown with the app, yes, but being in a situation where it's kind of this, this wave. You're comfortable here. Right. You've experienced this many times before. I had to get myself
0: to the point of extreme
1: anxiety in order to, in order to make get it myself something. out of it. If it were easy, <laughs> I'd be no good. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Okay. And so I, I had this conversation this morning with somebody because there have been a few you know, pieces of content and video I've put out about here's how to start an app and here's, here's what we did, step one. And then I, I started thinking about that and going, well, that's sort of just wasted space because the odds of anybody actually trying to do this for themselves is so slim. No one's going to go start an app that I'm talking to out there. Maybe like one over the course of a lifetime. Right. But I, I think you know, we, we share that understanding of it's really, really difficult. Like, with all the apps that come out every single day, making one that's really good, that works perfectly 100% of the time. I mean, I have such a new respect now when I'm on an app and it crashes. Yeah. I sort of just go, okay, that, I, yeah. I, I get that. That's okay.
0: Somebody's upset somewhere right yep. now because they just got a notification and their
1: app's not working. Yep, exactly. And, and I used to get so frustrated by that, but now I have, I have some empathy for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you'd agree that it's, it's much harder than, than people think. And it's, it's harder than if I were to go start a, a a simple service business. You know, if I was doing power washing or, or, you know, uh, mobile car washes or something like that, trying to get a huge number of people to adopt something that they've never done before and with a product they've never seen before. And then to get a whole team of people to climb up that mountain with you without knowing what's on the other side is, is very, very difficult. It's a lot of fun, but don't be fooled. It's very hard. Yeah, I mean, I, I think
0: that by and large, people who do go down this path probably create, you know, really interesting stuff. But if there's not a market for it or if they haven't, you know, really captured what – uh you know, the users want, then yeah. it's never going to go anywhere. And I mean, you sent me that article on uh, Instagram, Yeah, you know, where it, it, it uh, started off with a different name and, you know, it had all, it had a whole bunch of bells and whistles and, you know, uh, the guy launched it and wasn't really getting much traction. And uh, the, the short version of the story is he's on vacation with his girlfriend and she was taking pictures and he, and he said, well, how come you're not using my app? And she said, well, the clarity's not that great. All, all I want to do is post great pictures. Yeah. And so he ripped all the, you know, fancy stuff out of the app and just made it an app where you could share, you know, high quality, great pictures of the things that you're up to. And and Instagram was formed, right? And they went from zero to 25,000 followers basically overnight and it just kept growing from there. And so you just, the thing is you have to keep at it. You got to figure out what that niche is going to be. And, you know, I don't think that it's just, well, how do I market this thing? Right. You can't, you can't spend enough money. To get people to use your app, you have to create something that people want to use, and it will take off. 100%. And that's the hard part. That's figuring out what that is. Is 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 the
1: make or break? Yeah, a hundred percent. And I also think that. I think there's a lot of people out there that they create a product and they go looking for a solution. or are they I'm sorry, they create a solution and they go looking for a problem. Right. So there's all these cool gadgets and widgets. And I, I heard about this from a, a friend of mine that he wanted to invest in a, in a VR company. And everything about it was just too complicated. Just their service created more complexity and it added all this, you know, just stuff to a space that really didn't need it. And what I see out there is that the, the people who are doing really well and the app companies that do really well or the tech companies or the service businesses that really crush it are the ones that subtract complexity from a space. Mm-hmm. They remove difficulty out of your life. Right. They don't add stuff to it. They don't add widgets and features and all this stuff. They, they make it so much more simple by removing all these things. It's ac- exactly what you just said from that article on Instagram Instead of adding all of these cool, unique features, he just, Kevin, stripped down what was already out there and made it the most simple thing ever, which in reality is what people wanted. Right. So I think that that's a little bit of, or a, a big part of the dance of getting into the tech world is, you know, creating something that's not actually an addition to everybody's life. It's actually a subtraction mm-hmm. of a lot of complexity with a tool that is stupidly simple to use.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think people definitely want stuff that's easy, that that creates a significant convenience in their life, um, you know, that provides some level of entertainment um, and distraction. I think that we're now a society that thrives on distraction, you know, and so if there's things that they can use to take their mind off something else. Um, And it's very, very simple and anybody can use it. And, you you know, you can get, you know, addicted to likes or whatever it is. You know, those are all um, reasons why that particular app I think is so successful. But one thing that I think is also important is I'm just kind of, this is just my opinion. Sure. Just personal opinion. But I mean, like nobody goes into something we all want it to be wildly successful, right? Everybody wants this thing to blow up and be the next person sitting on, you know, the stage talking about your awesome story on how you, you know, uh, went IPO and hit a hundred billion overnight. But, um, right. You know, like how people get there is different from, from everyone. And you can read all these stories about what this guy did or that guy did, but that doesn't mean that that's, what's going to work for you. I think you have to take that stuff, internalize it, use it as a motivator. Some of it's going to stick, some of it's not, but the, the, thing is you have to stay focused on, you know, what is your product and why is it something that everyone needs?
1: And until you can really answer that question, you got to keep working on it. Yeah. I think that's really smart. I think that's really smart. And, And the path of, of every company and every person is so different. Yeah. So different. What would you say to the person that is out there living in the apartment with the Craigslist roommates that you talked about that you were doing? And the business is failing, or maybe they haven't even started it yet, and they have no money, and it's they're at that they're at that point uh, they're at the fork in the road, or they can either keep going or they can pack it in and just go do something that makes more sense. What do you tell that person, having been there before? That's a really good question. Um, I think that you have to really.
0: At that stage, you know, you have to really understand what it means to be an entrepreneur. And I'll quote a guy that you and I both know, Jay Rogers, Mm -hmm. uh, at Biz Owner's Ed. He stood up and said, and I I might be getting this a little bit wrong, but something to the effect of, you know, if if you're wired to be an entrepreneur, it'll be the greatest thing ever. If you're not, it can ruin your life. And so I think if you're at that point, you know, you need to really take a hard look in the mirror and understand if – if this is what you want, because if you're not wired to be an entrepreneur and you don't know what you're doing, you don't have the network and you're not willing to live in that world of chaos, mm-hmm. then, you know, get out and recover while you still can. Yeah. Uh, if you are wired for it and you're ready to endure the Craigslist roommates, which was awful, yeah. uh, and you're ready to, you know, be the guy who opens the store a- a- in the morning and is mopping the floors at night and you're willing to put in that, you know, that work, then go for it. You know, yeah. and I think... You know, it's like we've all heard the quote, you know, the the harder I work, the luckier I get. You know, if you keep at something long enough, you know, you'll get there. But you have to be
1: wired for it and you have to want it. That's great advice. That's great advice. Um, I think there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there. Yeah, I would say. I think there's a lot of people that want to do it, but they don't really know what goes into that life. They may not want that think, Yeah, I think there's a lot of... So a entrepreneur from my perspective, would be
0: somebody who probably has a good idea but is too scared to run it down, you know, and and that's a sad thing, you know, Mm -hmm. because there's probably a lot of really smart, interesting ideas out there, you know, and we are living in a world now where it's not super complicated or expensive to flush something out, you know. Um, I just, you know, I think you need to read the books on how to flush it out and make sure that you have the right fits and things like that, but... um, You know, that's the sad thing is people who just never give it a shot. Yeah. You know,
1: I'm not saying take yourself into financial ruin, but don't just sit on a great idea. Yeah. And then don't be upset when somebody else does it and you tell everybody, I had that idea. Yeah. And I should have done it. I could have been a billionaire. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What are, uh, what are a few books that you'd tell people to read? Maybe books that have been impactful for you. Um, so
0: there's a, there's a great book that's called the, uh, I'm trying to remember what it's called. It's called the Oz principle. Okay. okay. So it has four different principles, you know, and it's all about leadership um, and really how these four different quadrants, you know, really are kind of a game changer. It's see it, solve it, own it, and believe it. Okay. And you want to train your teams, you know, to think about things in those four quadrants, right? So if you see it, then how are you going to solve it? Right. And mm-hmm. if you have the solve, then you need to own it. And if you're going to own it, then you have to do it. And so it's a great book uh, if you want to learn how to train your teams. Okay. Um, Another great book, um, I'm just drawing a blank on the name. I gave you a copy of it uh, with the red cover. Um, I don't remember. uh, Let me think of it for just a second. It's frustrating that I can't think of it because it's such (laughs) a great book. The reason I love it is because it's- We'll put it in the show notes so everybody can see it. Yeah, it's written in in terms of a story, um, and it's this businessman who's trying to go on this sales call- and, you know, and it, it talks about how he's gone through all this sales training and he's going to go out and he's going to close this big account. And the, 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 uh, prospect is this millionaire. And, you know, the only way you could reach him is to go out to his house and his driveway is was so long that a Rolls Royce picks you up at the gate and drives you up. And it's just this really interesting story, right? It's right. not, it's not like a, it's not like a textbook kind of thing. It's, and it's right. an actual story. And then, um, you know, the way that I don't want to ruin the book, but, but, but the guy learns this incredible lesson about, you know, how you need to look at sales and, and why you, you know, like we were talking earlier, why what you're offering brings so much value that this guy can't live without it. Yeah. And then, you know, once you've kind of learned that, how you can use what you're doing to change people's lives. Um, and that's why I really love that book. And I don't know why I can't think of the title. It's that kills me, but we'll, I'll get We'll I'll find get it. it. To we'll you. put it yeah. in
1: the notes. Okay.
0: Um, and then uh, just for... um. Anybody kind of looking at, you know, starting a business, there's a book called The, the Lean Startup. Yep, great book. And it's a great book. Great uh, book. That was one of the first ones I read. It's got everything in there from product market fit to finding funding to, you know, com, you know learning convertible notes, how to get that stuff in front of people, talk to investors. Uh, really a good guide to kind of at least get your feet
1: wet. That's great. Well, good. Um, well, this has been awesome. We've got to do some more of these. I think Absolutely. there's a lot of there's a lot of things we can unpack here. Um, but I, I so appreciate it. I appreciate you and, uh, thank you for, for doing this and taking the time. And I I know people are going to find a lot of value out of, out of these things and of your stories.
0: Well, thanks for having me on. I love your podcast and, uh, you know, it's always fun to kind of tell stories. So happy to come back anytime.